0: Welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast with Shredded Ed, Cardio Johnny, Paul C, Matt Mork Supertroll and Brazil Hadley, the best infotainment show around where you'll hear us joke, banter and debunk all the nutritional myths you've heard time and time again, helping you get fit, healthy and shredded. So welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast, episode number 57. I might sound a little different today because... I'm on my own yes Brett is on his own so you don't have the uh, pleasure of having anyone else's voices just my dulcet tones but hopefully it'll still be a good episode um, although likely to be short so uh, you don't really want me coming in your ears for too long did you now so this episode I thought being or bear in mind that I'm on my own I would bring it back to basics because it isn't easy speaking just to yourself Um, despite how I probably get the most sense by just speaking to myself rather than those other idiots, um, it's still not easy to speak into a laptop, which is effectively what I'm doing right now. So I thought I'd take this opportunity to bring an episode where we can just take it straight back to basics. Something that is really popular within fitness and nutrition are pyramids. So I was going to talk through one of the classic uh, nutrition and strength nutrition pyramids come up by dr eric helms because it's something that i think most people would completely agree with as kind of the fundamentals of nutrition so in your mind imagine this a pyramid uh straight up the bottom is the biggest layer because the bottom of the pyramid is always bigger um and then obviously as it goes up the layers get smaller now, this denotes really the principles of importance across nutrition, and I'm going to talk you through each one to give you a bit of an idea exactly of what's important. It's stuff that we've already covered in a lot of other episodes, but I thought it'd be useful just to rerun through, give you some of my own thoughts in terms of what's important, and just maybe let you kind of think about your own nutrition again if, uh, if you don't feel like it's on point, and just try and then bring it back to those basics and start to get yourself back on track. So at the base of the pyramid, we have energy balance or calories, that is fundamentally one of the most, if not the most important thing that you need to consider about your diet or your nutrition. Eating in energy balance or eating in uh, an an energy deficit or an energy surplus, depending upon whether your goal is to lose weight or gain weight. Because fundamentally, whether we want to lose weight or gain weight is determined by calories. So if we want to lose weight, we have to be in a calorie deficit, i.e. we have to burn more calories than we consume or consume less than we burn. That will then allow our body to move on to its fat stores, move on to other resources to be able to essentially survive, to still create energy from somewhere. And obviously moving on to our fat stores and burning our body fat will reduce our body weight. Conversely, if we eat in a calorie surplus, we'll have surplus energy by definition, and that energy has to go somewhere. So it will either be used to build new tissue, i.e. muscle, or be stored as body fat. Uh, as some prime examples, it could be stored as muscle glycogen, but we're not going to talk about that right now. But what we also must consider that building muscle is not an energy dependent process. So therefore what it means is we don't actually have to be in a calorie surplus to build muscle because the mechanism for building muscle is actually protein synthesis. And that could be stimulated by just consuming enough protein over regular periods, along with things like weight training, um, while in the calorie deficit. So we actually know that we don't need to be in a surplus. However... That being said, being in a calorie surplus puts us in the most optimal environment to build muscle, i.e. make us feel good, train better, and training is gonna be our main stimulus for building muscle. So that's really why energy balance is the most important factor. And if you get that right, you will achieve the majority of your results, the base of your results, just by purely adhering to energy balance. And this is really fundamentally why diets or the type of diets, aren't really that important because it's all about adherence. We say enough times that the biggest predictor of success on a diet is basically whether you can stick to it. So therefore, the type of diet isn't all that relevant. It's about what's your preference. What are you gonna stick to over the long term? Because again, coming down to the bottom of that pyramid, if you can stick to it and you can adhere to whatever your energy balance requirements are, i.e. a deficit or a surplus, then that is gonna be, the most fundamental thing for you to determine that longer term success. We also know that when it comes to weight loss, the types of foods that you eat, again, are largely irrelevant. Outside of some of the stuff that we talked about in previous episodes where the types of food might mean whether you can stick to your diet, so managing your appetite, so the types of foods that you might eat might determine whether your appetite is managed well, obviously if it is managed well you're more likely to stick to your diet if it's managed poorly you're less likely to stick to your diet and therefore you're you're likely to overeat when we're trying to gain weight and by gain weight i'm going to make the assumption we're talking about gaining muscle here not necessarily just gaining body fat or any type of weight then we probably can be a little looser in terms of what we can eat to manage our appetite Um, unless obviously conversely to losing weight we need to manage our appetite in a different manner so If we are starting to lose our appetite, then maybe moving to some more hyperpalatable, calorie-dense foods is an appropriate action to take because if we are struggling to consume food, having foods very high in protein, high in fiber, having foods high in water, these are all things that actually make us feel full over the long term. So if you're struggling to eat enough food to maintain your body weight and actually put on weight, having those types of foods in in more quantities is not the best idea, and that's where it might actually be more sensible. To have stuff which is more energy dense, maybe some junk food, because energy dense foods tend to come mostly in the form of junk food. So having those types of foods that you wouldn't necessarily then have on a diet is probably a sensible thing. So next on the pyramid, we have macronutrients. So that's your protein, carbs, fats, and alcohol, but we don't talk about alcohol because it's not the done thing to do. So fundamentally, The amount of macronutrients you eat will determine the amount of calories you eat because each macronutrient contains a calorie value per gram. So that's where obviously macros become very important because over-consuming all macros will mean over-consuming calories or under-consuming the same. So what we're really specifically talking about when we talk about macronutrients and its importance is more around which macronutrients we eat because we're assuming that the amounts that you're eating are, in total are covered by energy balance. So I mentioned the three macronutrients are that we worry about anyway are pro, uh, protein, carbohydrates, and fats. And in all honesty, the only thing that really matters is protein for, uh, again, for either losing weight or gaining weight. The amount of carbohydrates, the amount of fats you eat are largely irrelevant. And something that you'll see or hear quite a lot of late is uh, the death of the macro split, i.e., Carbohydrates and fats, the amount of you eat, uh, eat of each, is largely irrelevant when it comes to, to fat loss or even muscle gain. So, what really does matter though is protein. And the reason uh, for this is for many reasons. One, protein is, um, albeit not necessarily a vital macronutrient, in that we can survive for long, long, long periods without it because we do have a mechanism of our body to turn over. Uh, protein, i.e., use kind of existing protein in the body, it's far from optimal, especially when we want an ideal body composition. So, therefore, having or consuming enough protein becomes far more vital if we want to do more than just survive. Protein is used in obviously muscle tissue. I think we all, most people, are aware of that. But it's used in pretty much every cell in the body. It's used to produce enzymes. It's used to produce hormones. Um, it's it's used in every other type of tissue and cell. So Protein is fundamental to us. So it's something that if we wanna thrive, we have to make sure we eat enough of. When we're trying to diet, protein becomes very, very important to help us maintain our muscle mass because that will help maintain our metabolic rate. And also, protein is seen as the most satiating macronutrient, so one that actually keeps us feeling the fullest for longest, which, again, as you can imagine, on a diet, that's incredibly important. Helping to feel full and for longer is a huge way of us to enable us to manage our appetite. So for those listening that maybe don't know how much protein to eat, you need to work out your calories first. But assuming that you know what your calorie maintenance is, then we would ask you to maybe look to eat around... 2.2 2.2 grams per kilogram. Um, you can do less if you want. So the benefits of maintaining muscle mass in a, in a diet have been shown to from protein intakes as low as 1.4 grams per kilogram, but anything up to 2.2 would still be beneficial because it will help with the hunger aspect. Whatever macronutrients are left over, you can then basically fill with carbohydrates and fats. You do wanna get a minimum fat levels ideally, because over the long term, having very, very, very low fat levels, and we're talking here less than 0.4, 0.5 grams of fat per kilogram of body weight, if you have that chronically low over the longer term, then it might start to affect things like vitamin absorption, because there are some fat-soluble vitamins we need to worry about, and consuming not enough fats will not allow us to absorb them. Plus also, it's then starts messing with some uh, hormone production, which again is obviously not good in the long term. But outside of those levels, there's not really too much to worry about. You don't need to worry about your carbohydrates and and fat split. If you had a very high carbohydrate and minimal fat, I've just explained that that might not be optimal over the long term. Or vice versa, if you had a very, very, very low carbohydrate and a high fat, again, that might not be optimal for a lot of people, especially if performance is an issue. Um, Carbohydrates uh, has been shown to really help any type of uh, intensity in performance. So if you do want to kind of perform well in the gym or perform well in sports, then having a chronically low carbohydrate diet is not optimal. A lot of those um, sports or demands do use what we call a glycolytic energy system. So glycolytic means, uh, or comes from glycogen, and glycogen is basically the storage form of carbohydrates in our bodies. So if we don't eat enough, we therefore don't have the right type of fuel to perform optimally. Our bodies can use other types, i.e. fat, but they're not readily, readily as available and burn a lot slower is the best analogy I can put. So therefore, they don't really help you with kind of more intense exercise. Also, if you have a chronically low carbohydrate diet, you'll probably miss out on uh, some good um. good type of carbohydrate, so uh, fiber, resistant starch, two things that are really beneficial for health, not only because they tend to contain a lot of vitamins and minerals, but they also um, are really shown a a great benefit to things like gut health um, and our digestive systems. So without them, uh, we could be in poor health. And in the same respect, with fats, getting a good range of different types of fatty acids, so monounsaturated, polyunsaturated, even saturated fat as well, uh, we all, our body requires cholesterol for a lot of processes, uh, so much so that if we don't eat any cholesterol, our body will be able to synthesize its own. So don't be scared of that. But just the message here about fats is to get a good range of different types of fatty acids, including omega-3s and 6s. Our diets tend to be, in a Western environment, a lot higher in 6s in and 9s. Um, so... Kind of getting things like fish oil tablets or or eating enough oily fish can be really beneficial to our health because they then balance out our ratios of omega fats. Um, We don't like to tend to use the terms good fats or bad fats so much because there isn't really a good or bad outside of something that's called trans fats. Trans fats is partially hydrogenated vegetable oil, which is a man-made fat where we've essentially pumped hydrogen through vegetable oil to make it solid at room temperature. And the reason for that is because it's then it's dirt cheap to produce, and it really uh, helps stuff and uh, a shelf life. So you will tend to find it in, or you used to tend to find it in a lot of baked goods. You don't tend to get it so much more in supermarkets uh, as, we, as we used to, maybe historically, unless you're in America. So... Um, We don't need to worry about that. But outside of trans fats, the the rest of the fats are not bad in relevant quantities. The take-home message really is to kind of get a good moderate amount of all the different types of fatty acids. So just mix up your fat sources. Next on the pyramid, we have micronutrients. So micronutrients are the amount of nutrients that our body needs in smaller amounts, as opposed to macro, where our body needs them in larger amounts, hence micro and macro. So micronutrients cover your vitamins and your minerals, etc., so we have our fat soluble vitamins A D E and K and we have our um water soluble vitamins uh B vitamins vitamin C etc now water soluble so- solu- soluble vitamins because they are water soluble we do essentially pee out any we don't need so we do need them more regularly but also means that we don't really ever get too many toxic amounts of those because we our bodies are quite smart and they will be able to just get rid of them um, the excess that we don't need. However, fat-soluble vitamins, they can build up to toxic amounts because they are stored in fat cells or adipose tissue. Um, however, for the majority of people, there's nothing you'll ever have to worry about because unless you're really super high dosing something in terms of maybe multivitamins in some of these things, the likelihood is that you'll never, ever, ever have to worry about um, toxicity from any of them. Now, the reason micronutrients is only third in the pyramid is because, again, from a um, weight loss perspective or a weight gain perspective, they're not really relevant. Uh, Being deficient or being overly, uh, or overly consuming any vitamins or minerals, they don't affect energy balance, so they don't affect weight gain or weight loss. Um, The only time they might do is if you are deficient in anything and it might create some symptoms like lethargy or tiredness, and then essentially you don't move as much, you don't burn as many calories, and that affects the energy balance equation, but outside of that, it doesn't affect weight gain or weight loss. But that obviously doesn't mean they're not important because as I said, if you are deficient in vitamins and minerals, you will feel like crap. You will start to have symptoms that then affect your health um, over the longer term. And obviously that is also just as important as your body composition. Although interestingly, one of the biggest factors affecting our health is our body weight. So that's why again, energy balance at the bottom of the pyramid and micronutrition is further up the line because Being in a healthy body weight range will do far more for our health, our healths, than it will do uh, eating, say, I don't know, a shit ton of kale or a whole host of different superfoods that you might think are improving your health. One of the things that I've talked about on previous episodes and something that I've, I've blogged about is, is adding fruit to someone's diet a healthy addition? Well, if it affects energy balance, then potentially not because obviously if you're adding fruit to a diet and they don't replace other foods with that fruit and they end up eating more and therefore they either overweight or it stops them losing weight, in my eyes, that's not a positive thing because actually the most fundamental thing they could do, which will affect their health more than having a few extra vitamins and minerals from eating some healthier foods, is energy balance Um, because maintaining or losing their body weight will be far more positive on their health. That being said, if you're eating more fruit, they are generally more satiating. There's more fiber and water in there, which we know does help you feel fuller. And for some people, it might mean they do eat less, but it doesn't necessarily mean it will, so you might have to make a conscious decision to basically switch out or avoid some foods that you might have eaten otherwise that you've now replaced with fruit. So this um, satiety effect of fruits and vegetables, plus the vitamins and minerals that they bring to avoid ill health, they are still important so, albeit energy balance is the most important thing, these may be potentially uh, indirectly affect energy balance because they might actually help you manage your appetite better, or they might stop you feeling tired, lethargic, uh, or feeling poor in, in poor health, and then causing you to overeat. Next on the pyramid, we have nutrient timing. So nutrient timing refers to essentially when we eat, and I suppose frequency as well, so how often we eat. So often it's thought that eating more meals and uh, more smaller meals per day was better than eating maybe, say, three bigger meals. So having six smaller meals versus three bigger meals, six meals would win. Uh, there's plenty of research, I know, that shows that to be completely false. And actually, if calories are equated across the meals, the outcome's actually exactly the same. There is no metabolic advantage for having those smaller meals. Some people have often used the analogy, and to be honest, uh, I've used this analogy myself in that imagine it like a campfire. You wouldn't put all of your fuel in one go and watch it burn out very quickly. You would stoke it over time and add smaller amounts to keep it burning for a lot longer. This is actually just incredibly false. So nutrient timing from a weight loss perspective is largely irrelevant in that the, as I say, as long as calories are equated over time, whether you have those longer, larger meals or smaller meals, you will get the same weight loss outcome. However, that being said, nutrient time does become more important when your goal is to build muscle. Because as I mentioned at the start of the podcast, building uh, muscle, uh, muscle protein, is not an energy-dependent process. We can do it, and there's been plenty of studies that show that muscle can be built in a deficit. It's just that in a deficit, we don't have the best environment to do so, so it's a lot, lot harder. So being in an energy surplus gives us that environment to do it. Um, so that being said, the, as we know, the mechanism for building muscle is muscle protein synthesis. So basically having a net positive uh, amount of muscle protein synthesis. So our bodies are constantly turning over protein all day. So it's constantly breaking down protein and constantly building protein. And essentially, we want to be building more uh, over the you know 24-hour or a 7-day or whatever the the, the, the term we're looking at, but basically if we look at it every day, we want to build more protein every day than we, than we break down and end up with a positive balance. So because that can be done, um, or we know that's done via uh, the amount of protein that we ingest, it then becomes quite important. So having regular protein feedings to help us essentially spike that muscle protein to so the positive side of that, that muscle protein equation that I talked about, becomes more and more important because the more we can spike it and the more positive that we get, the more likely we'll be in a positive balance at the end of the day. So that is where it does become far more important. Now, some people might be thinking, well, why don't we just consume protein in small amounts all day and constantly spike muscle protein synthesis? That doesn't happen. There has been researched where they have literally done exactly that. They drip-fed uh, amino acids into the blood to help stimulate muscle protein synthesis all day. And there is what's called a refractory period of where, where it's spiked maximally in one go. So you have a meal, say, Um, and you see a rise in muscle protein synthesis in response to that meal, there has to be a period of two to three hours before it will drop again. If you continually spike it in that period, you don't get any extra benefit, and it will just drop on its own, even with continuous spiking of of muscle protein synthesis, or sorry, or continuous feeding of protein. Um, So basically, having regular protein feedings but spaced out every three to four hours, say, as an example, would be optimal, if building muscle is obviously your goal and then potentially having a larger serving before bed uh, to try and help spike it for a bit longer, so a slow-releasing protein might be an idea, like casein or dairy. Um, cottage cheese is a really good source. Those might be helpful if you're looking to build muscle to, to basically help you through the night drip-feeding your, your, your muscle's protein. So under nutrient timing, you might also think about, well, you know myths around should we eat carbohydrates after six o'clock because you know your body can't burn that energy before it goes to sleep, so it's just going to get stored as fat because it's got nowhere else for it to go. Largely, again, this is just a myth. The amount of calories we consume over a twenty-four hour period um, is is a continuum. It's a constant flux. There is no kind of twenty-four hour period and then it resets and starts again. It's not like the, the your body knows that's 11:59 and then all of a sudden it's got a new calorie allowance for the day despite what happens in your my fitness pal app. So it's so again over the long term is what we need to worry about. You can eat all of your carbohydrates every day at 11:59 at night um and if you are still in um a calorie deficit or maintaining uh, your weight on you know calorie maintenance you won't put on body fat because there is no additional surplus of calories to to obviously store. Another one is often people say avoid carbohydrates at breakfast because carbohydrates make you sleepy. Now, there is a little bit of truth in that carbohydrates do stimulate a hormone called serotonin, which is known as a relaxing hormone, so it might make you relaxed. Um, That being said, it's still largely individual in terms of the, um, the response to it, so... You yourself need to know yourself. It's probably more likely actually what people are suffering when they eat and then feel tired is what's called postprandial solemnness, which is essentially your body having to um, work hard at digesting huge amounts of food so it does take away from other processes and you then do feel a bit tired. Um, Imagine the uh, Christmas day uh, scenario of you've just had a huge roast dinner, two, obviously, maybe three if you're me, portions of dessert, and then you've tucked into the Galaxy uh, Chocolate and hit Cadbury's Heroes, other chocolates are available, um, in the afternoon, and then you lay on the sofa in a nice, warm, comfy um, room, and you just want to sleep. That's postprandial somnolence, and that is nothing to do with carbohydrates, um, it's to do with the sheer volume of food that you're eating, and it's pretty much as simple as that. So as you've just heard, nutrient time is largely irrelevant. Uh, it's almost completely irrelevant for fat loss, and it's only partially irrelevant for muscle gain. Um, And the reason I say partially and not wholly or really irrelevant, is relevant, sorry, not irrelevant, is because even the research that we have to show any differences in potential muscle gain from someone that had more regular protein feedings versus someone that maybe only had one protein feeding a day, because obviously plenty of people have managed to build muscle just on one meal a day, maybe the intermittent fasting crew. I think the estimates over the long term are like literally a few percent. We're not talking like huge, huge amounts here. So what we're probably saying really with nutrient timing is you need to let your preference um, dictate what you do. And this just comes straight back down to, again, adherence. Uh, What are you going to adhere to? What's gonna bring the higher or or the more uh, important parts of the hierarchy, i.e. your energy balance and even your macronutrients? Um, What's gonna actually make you adhere to those? And next on the nutrition hierarchy pyramid, supplements. They're basically the 3%. They are literally the 3%. You know, you've got your energy balance covering your 80%, you've got your macronutrients covering your next 10%, you've got micronutrients covering your 5%, nutrient time covering like 2%, and then you've got another 2% in supplements. Essentially, supplements are exactly as they're meant to be, they're meant to supplement your diet. You need to make sure you've got the, the bigger blocks, those fundamentals of nutrition already in place before you even consider worry about supplementation. They makes no difference to weight loss. Um, fat burners don't work, so you don't need to consider those. Some things might have an appetite suppressant effect, um, but if they do, most likely they're not legal or they won't be very good for your health. Um, so, for the most part, I would just say avoid those. And there's also very few supplements really proven to actually help with even muscle gain. One of the few might really be creatine, the, probably the most researched supplement around and proven time and time again to have some small benefit to increase power um, and uh, delayed fatigue, therefore helping you train better. And training better should mean more muscle. But again, it, you know, we are talking. You know for some people that take creatine might not barely even notice the difference so we're not certainly gonna be talking anything too substantial next really is probably caffeine caffeine is something again really well researched and does show again to have a really good performance benefit so again delayed fatigue and just the stimulant effect of just being more up for working out or exercise so again it helps you train harder and you should then get the adaptations of training harder But again, it's not a miracle. It's not going to be something that's going to make the the biggest or a huge effect on on your body composition. And more on the health perspective, because to be honest, there aren't many other performance supplements that we really bother to recommend to anybody. Um, So on the health side, really the only things we consider is fish oils. For most people, if you're not eating more than two to three oily fish portions a week, then taking a fish oil weekly is a good idea because it's likely that you you won't be consuming enough omega fats. Um, And yeah, these have been linked, or deficiencies of these have been linked to a whole host of um, poor health outcomes. So they're just a fail safe for most people to just take. And we would also probably recommend for most people in the UK to take a vitamin D supplementation. Us poor folk live in the UK, we just don't get enough sun. So our main source of vitamin D as humans, comes from the sun. We synthesize it through our skin. We don't really get anywhere near the amounts that we need for optimal health through our diet. So having enough sun is is basically imperative. And being in the UK, say so we just don't get enough. So therefore, for most people, it's worth something, especially during the winter, to basically keep our levels topped up. It is vitamin D, it is a fat-soluble uh, vitamin. So we can take good amounts and store it over the winter effectively in our, in our body fat. Um, obviously, for that extent, you do have to be a bit careful around having too much over a long period of time because it could become toxic. But I don't think anyone would be at any risk of doing that because the research shows that some extremely high levels are taken over the like, years um, and there are no ill uh, or adverse health outcomes on it. And lastly, I suppose, for health, the only other thing we might consider is a multivit. But again, it's probably not really relevant for most people We wouldn't bother actually uh, I would say advising, but I'm using the term loosely advising people to bother to take one because most people can attain all of the vitamins and minerals outside of vitamin D uh, within their diet. It's actually, in the Western world nowadays, very hard to become deficient in in anything, really, as long as you have a reasonably sensible diet in terms of a moderate amount of different variants of coloured vegetables, um, different types of maybe Meats, so obviously, if you're a vegetarian or vegan and restricting certain food groups, then you're more at risk of becoming deficient and stuff. But outside of that, it's not a concern for most people. So lastly, the tip of the pyramid, literally anything else. So we could start talking about things like sleep, um, but obviously it's not strictly nutrition-related, but um, there are some uh, associations with either lack of sleep and appetite, and, um, fatigue, etc, etc, which might then affect things further down the, down the pyramid like energy balance it does just keep coming back to calories and energy balance this has actually been really hard talking to myself hopefully that's been really useful uh, and you've enjoyed me bringing it back to the basics and fundamentals of things you need to consider um, if there's any questions, contact us at no nonsense Nutrition on Instagram no uh, nonsense Nutrition. search that on Facebook or you can email us info at uh, nnncoaching.com and one of the coaches will be more than happy to, to answer any questions we also have some spaces available for one-to-one nutrition coaching if anyone is interested in working with us to, so we can really help you get to your your dream physique your goal weight or whatever your goal is also look out for the rough runner competition that'll be coming up soon so that'll be again on facebook and instagram And also, we would really appreciate that if you enjoy our content, if you really think it's useful and it's helped you, then please shout about it. Please tell your network, so whether that's sharing on social media, Facebook, Instagram, etc., or whether it's just telling your family or the people in your office or your or who you work with, just to give them uh, you know links to the, the stuff that we put out, whether it's the Facebook group, whether it's this podcast. We would really appreciate if you could share it and basically get our information out to more people so we can help more people. And also, if you would do us the honour of leaving a review on iTunes, that helps us get up the iTunes chart and, again, to get to see more people. And on that note, you're going to hear the end of my dulcet tones now. So whatever you've been doing when you're listening to this episode, whether that's walking your dog, getting some steps in at the end of the night like I do, or whether you're listening to this in bed, hopefully it's been at least mildly entertaining and hopefully you won't turn off and not want to listen to the next one. Ciao for now. Thanks for listening to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast. We'll speak to you all next week.